Hi, I'm Clara. And I'm Stephanie. Welcome to the Practice with Clara podcast, where we go into philosophy and all things yoga related, which we both love geeking out about. This week's theme is creativity. We go into the importance of collaboration. And the tools to build your creative process. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Practice with Clara podcast. You're sitting with Stephanie. And Clara. And today we're here to talk about our theme of the week, which is creativity. And creativity focuses on the second chakra, Svadhisthana. Am I saying that right? Yeah, you are. Okay, awesome. And I thought we'd open with Clara doing a uh, meditation or mantra to kind of ground us in this space and the chakra. Yes. So welcome to the podcast. And uh, if you're joining us now, I'd love you to close your eyes in a tall seat of your choice. Or if closing your eyes is uncomfortable, you can always just have a soft gaze looking downwards. And then you're going to take one hand to your lower abdomen, other palm on top of that. So lower abdomen is just below the belly button, above the pubic bone. Put the other palm on top of that. And then quite simply bring your awareness into your pelvis. And just take a couple of deep breaths into the pelvis. So Steph brought it up. The theme of this week is creativity. And that deals with the second chakra. Chakra is an intersection of energy lines. And these energy lines intersect in the middle of the pelvis. Where literally our creative juices live. So quite simply, I'd love you to think of what it means to be creative for you. One of my favorite aspects of creativity is exploration. When we're being creative, we're exploring. Sometimes it's new territory. So how do you create in your own life? Whenever we are working with our own creativity or looking for inspiration for creativity, it's really nice to work with the second chakra, with this area, meditating on it like we're doing right now. Feeling the heat of your own hands on your pelvis. We'll take Brahmari B's breath here, quite simply humming as we exhale. We'll do three of them together. And so as we exhale, we're humming and envision that, that vibration, the hum that you're creating is going down into your pelvis, lighting up this area, lighting up your own creativity. We'll take an inhale together. Last one. Mm. 
So that's a really great meditation. It's very, very simple to connect to creativity and to connect to the second chakra, which also has to do with the water element. If you ever wanted to connect to your own fluidity, that would be another uh, reason that you would uh, put your hands there and, and, uh, and bring your awareness down into the pelvis. Great. Such a good introduction. Um, I thought you touched on the question, Clara, of um, accessing your inner creativity and that's a good segue into my first question on the environment you grew up in and how it influences your, um, it inspires really and how it influences what you want to create. So what types of things did your parents expose you to as a kid? Like what kind of environment did you grow up in? There was a lot of play when I was growing up with my father. Um, we played all kinds of ways. We played outside, we played inside, we did a lot of, my father was a photographer, so there was a lot of art on the walls and a lot of looking at art. And then my dad would ask questions like, what do you see? What's happening here? What are they, what are, what do you think the relationship is between the colors and the shapes? So there was a lot of like breaking down visual art as well as enjoying it. And then the other part that both my parents were really big on is music. So there was always a ton of music being played in the house. I feel like both my parents, artists in their own right, my mother was a writer and my father's a photographer, um, but also had a deep appreciation from literature as well as music. So a lot of art in my life. And that, you touch on all those things in your classes, mm -hmm. listening to that, like the literature, music, poetry. Um, so that inspired who you are today, being in those environments. Yes, yes. And then when I was, uh, when I went into third grade, I went to an art school. So I went to art school from third grade or second grade to sixth grade. And we did all of the arts. So we did a visual art. You played an instrument. You sang in the chorus. You were in theater. Like we did... There was a lot of art in my life, let's just say. And you went to film school. Yes. Yeah. I went to film and dance school. So I, my minor was dance in university and my major was film. And how have your relationships, I would say specifically with your dad, having been in your 300 hour and your father was a part of that, how has that re relationship shifted from being a child and watching your father do these things to now embodying it yourself and doing it with him? Mm, great question. Um, so I come from a long line of teachers. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a teacher, my, gran my father is a teacher, and then I'm a teacher. So um, I grew up in a teaching environment, let's say. Uh, and so <laughs> So uh, as I became a teacher and started putting together my 300-hour program, the advanced program, um, I wanted a large component to be philosophy, and my dad's a hardcore philosopher slash a hardcore reader. Mm -hmm. So I wanted him to come in and kind of share his passion about, I actually tell him, talk about whatever you want. I leave it to him uh, to kind of play with the group. And so what's been so cool about that is because I would say probably when I was about 21 or 22, um, our relationship shifted from child to friend. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we, by the time he came into the program, which I would say was probably like eight or nine years later, we had already had developed a friend relationship versus uh, him being my parent. And so it's 
it's an absolute joy to watch him uh, share because one of the, one of the greatest gifts my dad has as a teacher is his enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. He's so enthusiastic about anything that he talks about. That's why I'm always like, talk about whatever you want. It's going to be great. Um, he's so enthusiastic that I'm just, I just everybody gets excited around him. So it's a gift to have him there as part of it. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to segue into one of the themes for the second chakra, which is. The partnering is it's the coming together with another entity that creates and stimulates change. So you coming together with your father, that creates a whole new environment for people to express themselves, to play, to kind of indulge in all these different varieties of art. Because I remember your dad playing guitar. He Mm -hmm. read us stories. Like he initiated the... um, What do you call the drumming circle? Yes, we did a toning circle. Toning circle. Talk about that. Like what... What is toning circle for people who don't know? So a toning circle, uh, if we've, we do it in class sometimes as yeah. well, and my dad does it as well. And so essentially, it's a, it's we start with the sound ah, which is the first sound that babies make, and they say it's the first, the primordial sound of om, and the primordial sound of everything in the universe starts with the sound of ah. So we start with the sound of ah, and then we kind of, the idea is to close your eyes and allow yourself to kind of explore where you want to go with that sound and sometimes it's based off of what other people's sounds are making and so usually we kind of I like to say we uh we kind of go through different landscapes of sounds like we go through the jungle and people are like you know and we go into the ocean or the desert and so the idea of it and you're bringing it up beautifully is this idea again of play and this is what creativity is all about and I kind of planted that seed in our meditation is that we don't know where we're going to go, which is, to me is the best part. And that's the best part about the toning circles. Yeah. We have no idea where we're going to go it's because it's a collaboration of everybody in the room. And this is, again, why I love to teach yoga is it's a collaboration between the students and the teacher. Like you have a sense when you walk in of what you're going to be offering. But based on the energy in the room and who's there and uh, where they are in terms of their mentality or whatever, you know, the trip that we go on as a, as a community through the class is like is a collaboration. And it's very different, like the way the toning circle worked too with using your voice, using your body to create sound, like drumming on the legs, drumming on the floor, clapping, snapping. It's inclusive in all the different ways you can bring yourself into the circle and into the room, which I think you do so well in your classes in the diversity and what you offer through philosophy, mythology, movement. It's never just one thing. Because life is not one thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then maybe talk about um, in your classes with theming in vinyasa, why you do all different types of movement, what that does on a physical level, on an emotional level, spiritual level. What is that giving to your students? I'm going to answer that. And then since you are a practitioner of mine, I want want you to talk about your experience of it. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. So... um, All of my teachers have been very, uh, rebel is not the right word, but they are, they like to pull from very, from different lineages. And my father is the exact same. So I feel like that's where I came from. My dad, like, you know, studied a lot of Buddhist philosophy, a lot of Indian philosophy, but also studied like Catholicism, studied all kinds of religion. Religion is very fascinating for him. Mm -hmm. So he pulls actually from many different lineages. And so um, I find that... At least for me, I have a hard time with philosophies that are dogmatic, first of all, meaning yeah. that this is the way and the only way. And that because they're, 
we are such a diverse group of people, whoever shows up in the room, we're not all the same. It's nice to have different tools or different modalities mm -hmm. to pull from so that ideally everybody in the room is spoken to in their own way, shape or form. So that's why we bring in um, mantra and we bring in meditation and we bring in different asanas and I also bring in different lineages of, of the yoga poses themselves is so that ideally everybody in the room gets, uh, gets feel, feels like they're seen or heard or understood. Yeah. And so I pull the question now to you, Steph, in terms of like being in the room and experiencing that, uh, how does that shift or how is that different from like other classes? I would say when you do, when I do the same thing over and over again, I fall into like that automatic thinking where like when you're driving and you completely slip away and it's so habitual, you're not conscious, mm -hmm. you're not aware mm -hmm. versus when you're doing things that are different, you're constantly having to think, but in a different way. So it is more playful and it also allows almost like an escapism mm. with the mantra and breathing deeply and getting into all these different ways. It's like you're thinking hard about what to do, but because it's so different, like you slip into a different landscape than when you're repeating something over and over and over again. It's a different way of embodying the practice. Yes, well said. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so then that's a great segue into my next question what do you hope to give your students like if you could give like a little snapshot in three words or a sentence for how you want people to feel in your class what are you offering every time someone steps in the room my intention whenever we're whenever I am teaching is for people to reconnect to themselves to remember their own truth and to embody their truth and now who knows if that's what happens in a 90 minute yoga class, but that's always my intention going in. And my intention also going in, and I say this a lot in class, is may this heal us, right? This practice for me at least is one that is healing because regular life kind of like puts heaviness or uh, dampness or stagnation or like hardness, at least in my experience of life those things kind of happen. And so what I seek in my own practice is this idea of expansion, this idea of letting go, and this idea of realigning and seeing and hearing my own inner truth without being distracted. So as a teacher, I'm trying to do the same thing. So I want to, I kind of give a little bit of distraction and things like this in terms of uh, different kinds of movements and stuff like that to get people to move out of distraction and to come into um, a, a alignment, meaning they have to listen to me because they have no idea where I'm going. And I want them to um, explore their bodies, hopefully in different ways, because I find that you learn new things when you are doing different things than you're used to. And I want people to feel good about who they are, you know, because um, at least in the tantric tradition, like we are, we are divine beings and we've just forgotten. And so the practice is about coming back and remembering that we're awesome, you know. Yeah. And all of us are awesome, right? In our own way, shape, and form. You're reminding me, uh, just this seg this segment of when you're leading people through class and people don't know where they're going, and your father brought this up in the 300 hour, the trickster is turning things upside down on their head so people aren't allowed to be in that space where they're in that automatic thinking. So maybe unpack the archetype of the trickster a little because your dad also uses it and you do it in your classes which is 
Interesting. Yes. So the trickster, the archetype of the trickster is usually the one who's kind of what my dad would say lives outside of the village compound. He's, it's not a normal, it's not a normal day to day, uh, kind of being, it's this being that lives outside. It's usually like, I feel like, uh, Clarissa would describe it in, uh, women who run with the, Mm. with the wolves or, you know, wild women who run with the wolves is the wild woman. It's like this being that, uh, is kind of maybe even has like a deranged look in their in their eye and you're not quite sure if they're going to go left or right or what's going to happen so you you're on your toes when yes. you're when you're with them because you're not sure what's going to happen but the idea of the trickster uh, in terms of the archetype is that it, it does exactly what you're saying is it puts things it flips things around so that you're not really sure it changes your perspective and all of my teachers are tricksters like and my my first teacher was my father yeah. and he is a trickster like <laughs> like mess like messes with you in in so many ways shape or form in in the most positive way possible so that you can uh step outside of of the normal to kind of look around it the idea is kind of shaking it up yeah. right it shakes it up and so uh, the practices and the, the the style of teaching that I do along with my teachers is we like grab you and Wah! go like that. So then all of a sudden, when you kind of come back, you, you're looking around, you're not really sure. My dad would say in, in the Carlos uh, Castaneda tradition, right, it's changing your yes. assemblage point is yep. what it's called, right, is is the idea of the shaman or the, the sorcerer that you're working with literally would hit Don Juan or Don Juan would hit um, Carlos and shake him up and you wouldn't sh- be sure where he was. Then all of a sudden he saw the reality differently, right? And that's the point. And how does that instigate the creative process how do you think it does well it's a different perspective and as you said before I think it brings us back to that play state of being a child which when we become adults and like you're saying that oppression of everyday life with paying bills and sitting in traffic and Mm -hmm. all the things we have to do and I think also in um, expressing our vulnerabilities there's fear there. So as kids, we're just giving love. We just want to be love and play and connect with everyone and touch everything. And as we mature and we're learning all these rules of being civil in society, they're telling certain things are saying, okay, you can't do this in this space. You yes. can't do that. And that decorum enables us to come together. But then we lose that sense of play, which is devastating. So it's coming back to this space where you can honor that playfulness, that lightness, that creativity while still being in shared space with others and not offending anyone. But building on that, like, why do you think it would be, uh, so yes, and in terms of the creativity, how does moving the assemblage point or shaking it up spark creativity? Personally? Yeah. Um, it gives me access to moving from my heart instead of my head. Mm. So I'm not analyzing. And that's what movement does in my creative process. And you said to me recently, um, I made a comment about preferring to practice at the end of the day and not the morning. And you were like, oh, that's a clearing. That's a process of clearing. You're, sh- you're shaking off whatever you've done today. And that that is honoring a clearing versus practicing in the morning stimulates a different type of energy. So my process is like I'll write all day and then I'll move at the end of the day like, okay, clean slate tomorrow is going to be different and I need that reset yes. so I don't get stuck in patterns and then my fiction dies. Yes. No, no, no new characters are arriving. Um, so that's my process in movement. Yeah. 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 And what about you? 
as soon as I do any kind of mindful practice, my creativity is sparked. It's mm-hmm. so interesting because, and it actually gets, it actually gets sparked when I stop thinking about it. So some of my like greatest quote unquote ideas, creative ideas come when I'm, um, not thinking about it. Yeah. And so not thinking about it means that I'm uh, lost in a, in a flow. Like I'm, I, I prefer practicing in the morning, so I'm lost in my morning cool. flow and I like doing it early so that my thinking brain hasn't turned on yet yeah. so that I'm hopefully still in more of like a primordial or like a primitive uh, mind versus like, Oh, these are all the things I need to do today. Um, and so yeah, I find that it ha- and it happens in moments of very deep quiet, mm-hmm. which will also ha- generally happens like I usually meditate after I do asana practice, so it'll come then when it, when there's like a lot of space. What will come then? Ideas. Okay, I got you. Yeah. For so maybe for teachers let's talk a little bit about that in because it is interesting the way you sequence and how much you can bring into the room in even a 60-minute class. And this obviously comes over time and experience, but what is your process in that? When you're creating, this is what I want to do. Are you thinking about this is the peak pose? Are you thinking about these are the muscle groups? Or is it something a little bit more esoteric and this is the mood I want to create? What am I, what am I giving through whatever your main mm-hmm. point is? Or maybe there isn't one. There's always one. But it... It's different every time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I, I, sometimes I start with the theme, meaning that when I'm creating a class, I'm either fascinated by a particular theme or working with a particular theme or, yeah. and or I had a conversation with somebody that brought up something that I find very interesting that I'd like to share. So if I move from that place, then I think of what... Uh, area of the body does that correlate to so if it's an emotion or anything then where does that live in the body and then my then based on that I would work on that part of the body and and then one of two things would happen from that is that I would if I really wanted it to be a theme heavy class meaning I really wanted people to chew on what I was talking about I would make it less about a quote-unquote peak pose like I wouldn't I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want people to get into the analytical mind so much. Okay. In terms of the anatomy and like what's happening in terms of like function of the body. And so then I'll just, I'll move in a more general form and we'll work, we'll open that part of the body to activate that theme, but we won't, I won't be like getting super like technical alignment, technical about it. So talk about second chakra, like pretend that's your theme and go just broad strokes around that part of the body, some poses you might include, and what elements you would kind of embrace as you're bringing people into that that body part. Second chakra, I go usually one of two ways. The first way I go is with the water element, which I talked about um, in our meditation practice. And my teacher Shiva Ray is really big on the water element. I'm really big, like I feel like I feel mostly like water. And so when I move like water, I feel like I'm I'm arriving back at home. So with the second chakra, one way that I do it would be called go with the flow. That kind of idea of constant movement and the strength in movement and the healing uh, quality of fluidity Mm -hmm. and how important that is. And so I would kind of link that in. And so when I'm working with the idea of water, I don't generally have a peak pose. It's more about transitions. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so then that's also kind of going with the flow is can I transition into the next part, the next chapter, the next aspect, um, the next minute with more ease, with more fluidity, with more grace. Mm-hmm. So it would be more along the lines of that. And then the other well realm that I would go into, which we're talking about today, is creativity and, and this idea of creation, of making something, right? Um, our creative juices literally live there, right? Semen lives there. Our ovaries live there. Um, that's how we bring beings literal physical beings into the world and so connecting to that creative fire right and we call that kundalini energy or shakti that creative force and so connecting to the possibility or potential right which to me is so exciting yeah. i've like i love the idea of possibility and potential so i can go a hundred different ways in terms of theming around that because it's one of the ones that gets me most excited. And so what would I do around that is um, we would do Kapalabhati breath, skull shining breath, which is actually awakening second chakra, bringing it up. It obviously activates your uh, third chakra, which is your solar plexus, but really uh, connecting to the pelvis. We would do a lot of uh, fluid movements like hip mandalas. We'd have these kinds of, um, the pelvis would literally be hopefully kind of moving in this way. There'd be undulations right I would think of it that way um we would also do leg strengthening I would do a lot of glute and leg strengthening and why that is one of the things that's so cool about water and I wouldn't talk about it is that it can be a solid liquid or gas Mm. it's very adaptable so that's such a cool thing to work with so even if I'm working with creativity because creativity is adaptable so I'd like to share a story uh that I actually thought you gave to me, Clara, so I can't actually quote who I I heard this from because it wasn't you. The story of uh, the birth of the cosmos in that first there's the one and the two is born and then the two come together and create three and then the universe comes into being because you have the one plus the two equals three and if you think of exactly what you've gone through in building your family and having Carmen, this is how we create and things come into being and there's a huge dynamic force of change in that in you receiving Alejandro Alejandro receiving you or whatever whoever you're partnering with your dad in your teacher training you're shifting the energy by coming together and then something new is created from that force and you don't get that when you're a solo entity so I wanted to jump in actually and ask you in terms of being a creative person, being yes. a writer that you are, yeah. because there is no collaboration as a writer. I disagree. Okay. Yeah. So then I was curious, I wanted to hear kind of, I wanted to hear about that in terms of the creative process. So I initially thought that writing was a solo act, but now because of the collection I'm working on right now, I'm seeing how collaborative it is in that all of my characters are influenced by people I've met. There's a little there's little details or points that I can pull from in either, you know, long relationships like my family members or an interaction I'll have with someone that is emotional, either it's, you know, positive or negative. So I don't think that creation is ever singular. I think that it's constantly interacting with people in your environment that creates this new essence of whatever it is you're bringing into the world I love that yeah what a beautiful image I think so too yeah Yeah. because literally you are creating something you're bringing something forth and so there needs to be a two to your one and it's the same that you've said in teaching in your class you're not walking in and 
kind of dictating this is what we're doing. You're watching mm -hmm. and feeling the room to see what is received. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I get. That's the impression I get from your classes. And that's how I hope I hold space. So it feels like we're in this together. Yeah. And the, with the idea of the collaboration in the creative process is... Uh, at least for me, it kind of drops the ego. It drops this idea of yeah. I am doing this. Yeah. Instead, we are doing this. Yeah. And the we feels has such a different feeling than the I. Yeah. And it's, there's a quote just in terms of writing in, uh, I don't know whose quote this is, that writers are all narcissists because we think we're God creating these new realities, which there's an essence of truth in that, I think. But what I hope my writing does is reflects back what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this cross of, yeah, I'm creating a new world, but I'm also inspired by the spaces I share with people. Mm -hmm. So in that, it's collaborative. We're all in this, we're all in this together. Yeah. yeah. And what a beautiful image to come to uh, because people would say that the practice itself is singular. Right. Like if you sit down on your meditation mat or when you uh, when you come to either sit in meditation or when you come to do asana, there's this idea that it is a very personal, singular practice. But actually, it's a practice of remembering that we're part of something greater. Yeah. And so what a beautiful um what a beautiful ritual to come to uh, in a in a practice, and I kind of we pull it out and offer it to the to the community this week is like next time you go onto your mat, or your meditation cushion, or your mat, allow it to be an an opportunity to connect to the greater to the greater community versus to the self. Because when we connect to ourselves, right, to the divinity within us, we're actually con connecting to the divinity around us. So what a beautiful uh, intention. And so we want to have with each of these podcasts an offering for you guys in terms of the practice, your practice this week, uh, if you choose to come with us. And so the offering this week is every time you come to do your mindful practice and your mindful practice could be eating lunch. It doesn't necessarily have to be a quote unquote spiritual practice, but one that you are choosing to come and connect to yourself to. Can you remember that this is a collaboration between you and the world. So can I not only be connecting to my divinity, but through that remember that I am the one finding my two so that we can create the three. I love that. Yeah. It's I thought it was yours. It's beautiful and I've I've held definitely, on to it. Definitely not, but I I'll take it. I just took it right now and just spun it, you know? Clara's story. <laughs> definitely not. But uh yeah, so that's the offering this week is we'd love you to um to come to your practice and remember showing up as the one, seeking the two through the breath, through the asana, through quite simply the intention. And then from there seeing what emerges, what creativity emerges. And that is perfect to start tapping into. I wanted to bring up the practice with Clarisite and what inspired you to shift and draw your community from uh, physical space into the virtual realm. So what prompted that process? And uh, it's just so timely with COVID because I feel like you launched the site months before COVID given, but you had already a little community built and a place for people to go and build on this community, their own ritual, connect to you since we're not doing that in person right now. Mm -hmm. So where, where did that idea come from? Cause you were ahead of the curve. Everyone is doing online classes. There were people doing it before as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I've been in the online world for over a decade Mm -hmm. with my yoga online that then turned into Gaia and uh, love the online community and have met people all over the world when I travel that have practiced with me. And I wanted to build something a little bit more unique and to have a bit more creative, like creative freedom. Cause there, you can only do so much when you're working for a different company, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do all the things that you want to do. So, um, loved working with them and also wanted a little bit more freedom mm-hmm. of my own. And so, uh, when I met my, uh, my life partner, Alejandro, um, we decided to also become business partners because, uh, he has a great business mind where I have a very creative mind. And so I wanted to, I wanted to have a little bit more of a personal touch to my online presence, which is how we created the practice with Clara site. And so, um, I feel like my Dharma is to create community and, but what that community looks like could be different or has become something different than I thought it was, let's say 10 years ago. And so I love the online community because we are a global community and yogis tend to travel. We are wanderers. That'll be very interesting after this time, what travel is going to be like in terms of after, uh, we're allowed when COVID hopefully starts to die down or shift or we get a a vaccine, what travel is going to look like. But for now, connecting with people all over the world gives us insight into how similar we are, which I really like. And what is unique about your site that you weren't, clearly you wanted to bring something to your own platform that you didn't feel, this is how most entrepreneurs create a product, is they see a lack and then they bring what they feel is lacking. Yeah. So what is that for you? I have such a deep passion for mantra Mm -hmm. and uh, for bringing more of a creative element where it's not just the asana, which I love, but I also wanted to bring in other parts of it. And there just wasn't space for that on that platform, which I totally understand. They were looking for something very specific, but I wanted to do more and I'm going to, we've just had our baby. So uh, there's a lot more uh, creative ideas that I want to bring forth. I just had to put them on pause while, uh, while we made a baby. And so, um, yeah, I want to be able to share stories and have different things on the platform that are not just asana related. So we have the mantra, the meditation, but I'm going to bring in some philosophy. We're going to bring in some, uh, yeah, we're going to bring in like kind of little short courses on uh, the chakras and the values. And we're going to kind of go in a lot of different directions. And so that's what makes me most excited. And that's why I wanted to create the site. That's almost like you're kind of drawing in elements from your teacher trainings mm-hmm. into the site. Cause mm-hmm. This is all stuff that you go over in the two and the 300 hour. Mm-hmm. So almost like a little mini, you know, training package mm-hmm. for people. who, Yeah. Yeah. And for people who want to geek out about yoga, who don't necessarily want to teach yoga, but want to know more about it. I feel like generally when people, after you practice for a particular amount of time, you start to ask the bigger questions. Yep. And so I want a space where I can answer those bigger questions or, and, or, give fodder for thought so that people can kind of chew on what it, you know, what these big questions are for them. So it sounds like a big piece of your creative process is, uh, passing it on is passing mm-hmm. the, the baton, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that your grandmother was a teacher, but if you can share a little bit about why that element of creativity inspires and is so, uh, deeply ingrained in you. My father my father and I talked a lot. My parents are talkers. 
Um, and uh, so because of that, we talked everything out. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, that is actually a large part of my creative process and or my self-inquiry process is I usually talk it out with somebody. It for a long time was my father. Um, and so that is the way that I actually gain insight. So I find that my greatest practice in terms of understanding philosophy is actually teaching it. Mm. And, you know, they always say that if you want to understand something, teach it, right? And I find that through teaching it, I've learned so much by asking the questions to other people. And that's, again, where the collaboration comes in, the one and the two and the three that we create together is like my, the first kind of piece of philosophy that I ever dove into was the Bhagavad Gita, one of my favorite books, Mm. uh, right? This wonderful story. And um, I definitely went through a period when I first started teaching where I'm like, who am I to teach this? Like, I do not, I'm not a philosophy major. I did not, I mean, I studied philosophy in school, but not to the extent where I have a master's or anything. But by going into it and asking people questions about it and for us to dive into the themes around it I learned so much and this is why I love teaching it's because I learned so much and it's the embodiment you're bringing together it's more of an experiential practice rather than sitting down I mean I learned through reading but it's more theorizing where you're Mm. you're not directly interacting with the writer whereas when you're sitting in a room talking about these ideas or you're in a Facebook group yes. asking questions and it's more again this idea of change and coming together you're creating something when you're interacting with another entity whether it's in the same room or online versus sitting and reading a book and because of the collaboration of it yeah. i feel i feel like i learn so much more like i love reading i read a ton of philosophy but i learn more from reading the philosophy and then talking about it because yeah. once i dissect it and go into it then i understand oh this is what they mean by it right and this yeah. is the collaboration of uh the student to teacher and or you know the sangha the community and that's one of the key parts of your intensives. So Clara offered intensives, and I hope going forward maybe they're resurrected after COVID, where we get together and do practice in the morning for two hours, mm-hmm. mantra, asana, meditation. But at the end of the week, and the week was anchored and themed around a book, and then the offering at the end of the week was to meet in your house or at a coffee shop and unpack the theme of the week and the philosophy and talk about, okay, we did this on Tuesday morning, like, how did you, how did you feel? So mm-hmm. you're not just moving and you're in the practice, you're actually coming into a group and you're sharing mm-hmm. your experience, which mm-hmm. I don't feel we do enough as a community, not yogis, but as a greater. Yeah. Well, that's what school's for. I find like we do this in school, but we don't do it yeah, outside of school. But we did, I don't remember really talking about my feelings in school. It was okay. more like... It depends on what, what you studied in yeah, school. Yeah, because I studied literature and philosophy, and it's like, read this and tell me what the author said. Okay. Never like, Stephanie felt this about... Which is what I love about yoga, is yeah. that you're really coming into your own experience and then expressing yourself, mm-hmm. which that's the creative process, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so in that way... We are all artists because I feel like some people think, oh, I'm not an artist. And I think we're all artists. Like we create in our own way. Right. And even just thinking is a a form of creation, is a form of artistry. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I find that through yoga and through uh, being in Sangha in group together, we create, we co-create something together, which is so, so cool. So what is something that is a uh, tangible takeaway that someone can do at home that you've offered on your site or you want to give right now where you can 
step into that space of honoring your own creativity, expressing that creativity. What is a practice that you can recommend that someone can sit down and mm -hmm. set up like a morning ritual, exactly like mm -hmm. your intensive? Mm -hmm. I'm going to offer three different variations Great. because I find that because we're all so different, hopefully one of these three options will speak to you. We'll see how it goes. But um, the first one is what they call uh, morning pages, and it's from The Artist's Way. Um, did you ever do The Artist's Way? No. Oh, really? I'm like, this sounds awesome. I'm, okay. I'm excited to yeah. learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so The Artist's Way um, is a book, and it's a way of t for generally writers to tap into their creativity, but really I think it's for all artists, which is everybody in the world, um, is that as soon as you wake up in the morning, you pull out pen and paper, and you write three pages without thinking about it, and it's a stream of consciousness, and you literally just write until the three pages are up, and you try not to judge it or think about it, um, and then uh, and then you can either reread it or just leave it, and it's kind of a way of just connecting to the uh the the realm that is the realm of the mind that is not analytical but yeah. the part of you that is creative and so yeah. it kind of it kind of jump starts the day uh and so morning pages would be the first one that I would recommend for people um the second one I would recommend is to uh turn on your stereo <laughs> did I say stereo turn on your iPod or whatever <laughs> it is your laptop however you're listening to music these days hit play without really thinking about it and whatever song comes on you dance to it i love it yeah, yeah. so so first realm is uh the the way of expressing or uh the, the yeah the form of expression is through the writing the second one is through movement so you literally hit play and whatever song is on off you go and you move to it and to the best of your ability don't overthink it be in your pajamas hopefully you didn't even brush your teeth you're just like boom you know, so that is another way to literally get into the creative flow and to connect to the body. So especially if you live in your mind, that would be one that I would recommend. The third one that I would recommend is to um, pull out your meditation cushion and to sit down on it. And meditation cushion could be your sofa cushion. It doesn't have to be something fancy. Let me start there. Uh, but something that you're going to sit on. Put your hands, like we did at the beginning of this podcast, to the lower abdomen and quite simply breathe into that area. Take three hums and then quite simply sit for 10 minutes without doing anything. You do the three hums, then you put your hands down and then you sit and just breathe into that area. And so that's another way to create, to hang out and to, uh, whew, to connect to your creativity. And what I would say, um, just given the, so all the intensives I've done with you, Clara, is taking one of these practices and maybe even switching it up but doing it for an extended period do it for the full month because you might feel something shift in a day but it's the consistency yes. in creating that ritual for yourself whether you're sitting dancing it doesn't matter and what evolves over the period of time because mm -hmm. like speaking as a writer when I sit down and write some days it is not good mm -hmm. things are sticky they don't flow but it's creating the routine. So you're constantly coming back to that and things shift over a period. They always do. And what comes out of that space? Yes. So uh, in what we call the yamas and niyamas in yoga, which is like our observa observ <laughs> our observations as well as uh, for our own body and how we connect to the world, one of them is known as tapas and that's a niyama. And tapas means discipline and or heat. But in this context, it's going to be. And so one of the biggest things we can do 
uh, in the practice to cultivate a practice is tapas. We cultivate tapas. So we cultivate a discipline so that you commit to doing it for an extended period of time. Because like Steph's saying, and we already know it, right? If you do something every so often, yes, it's fun, but it doesn't create a strong change. And so commit to it. And whether you're committing to it for a week or a month or, you know, in the yoga tradition, we usually do it for 40 days because when you do something for 40 days, a little bit over a month, then you get to actually see how it shifts and transforms you. And I've done the morning pages. I think I did the morning pages once for three months, like three months every day. And it was amazing what came out of that. And then the same with my meditation practice. You know, there's been a couple of years where I've done it for a year at a time in a particular lineage and like how I started and how I ended those practices, meaning over that period of time was mind blowing. So choose something and commit to it. (laughs) And it's like your quote, setting a limitation that you used a quote earlier around setting limitations to become more creative. Cause when you set those boundaries, Mm -hmm. something it's, when you pot a plant in a specific sized pot, it's going to grow into the size of the pot. And then maybe you move it, but you don't just throw dirt on the floor and the, you know what I mean? Yes. Throw the seed into it. And you then need say, good a luck. container. Yes. Yeah. You need a container. So you're, what did you say? Sadhana, the yeah. 40 days yeah. is your container for your creativity to flourish. Yes. I love that. Yeah. 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 And so the class this week, uh, that's coming out, yeah. uh, on the practice with yoga. Practice with Clara. <laughs> We've been talking for like an we hour, have. so um, creative flow, and it's all around second chakra. It's going to be out this Friday on the Practice with Clara site. Um, we'll add all of our questions and these practices to the Facebook group, which is where we want to keep connecting with our community. Have your questions, share your experiences of creating uh, your container in the morning, however you're choosing to uh, embrace that creative force. And then also... Yeah. Uh, yeah, making a strong intention to to connect to that creativity. And so um, our Facebook group is the Practice with Clara uh, community page. And so we'd love to hear your insight. So if you're going to commit to something, we recommend put it on the page and say, I'm going to do it from this date to this date, and we'll check in on you. We'll yeah. be like, how's it going? What's happening? And then we'd love to hear your insights because through sharing, right, we create inspiration and we also create um, a, a container for our own, for our own um, upliftment, for our own... And we hold each other accountable. Yeah. That is what community is for, is to support, inspire, and hold each other accountable. Uh, a community is our theme next week. So, so it's perfect. We'll yeah, get into that. Such a good uh, compliment to what we talked about this week. So thank you yeah. so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you... Uh, get your podcasts and uh do check out our facebook page we'll be there we're we're generally there between steph and i every other day so do post on there and and if you have questions for uh either of us in terms of uh the podcast we always love having them and we'll incorporate them into our talk and uh if you haven't already check out the practice with clara uh, website and that's practice.clararobertsauce.com and yeah, check it out. I'm, I'm really happy with what we've created and we have over 70 classes on the site. So definitely there's something for everyone and uh, let us know what you think. And there's a seven day free trial. So you can check it out and see if you like it. If you don't like it, then you don't have to, uh, you don't have to commit. Yeah. But you should commit yeah. for 40 days at least. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Namaste. Namaste.
Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Practice with Clara app. That's mine. I've created almost 100 yoga classes for you to do at home or on the go. And they're available to you on your favorite device, including mobile, desktop, and TV. These classes include vinyasa, slow flow, hatha, restorative, yin, mantra, meditation. I also just had a baby, so I created prenatal yoga for all four trimesters. So head over to clararobertsoss.com slash join to learn more. Or search for the Practice with Clara app at your favorite app store. There's a seven-day free trial, so no commitment. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of good stuff in store for you. Until next time, namaste.